Hi, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our recorded, our pre-recorded video worship experience this morning. Uh, we're going to do something new this morning. We're going to begin a new three-part series today that I'm going to call The Power of Words, The Power of Words. And this morning, in the first message, what I want to do is I want us to think, I want us to be introduced to a very basic biblical principle when it comes to our words and how we engage those words in conversations with other people. And I want to begin with a question. Jumping off point will be a very easy question. Question is this, what is the one area in your life where you have consistently gotten yourself into trouble with other people? What is the one area in your life all of your life where you have continually and consistently gotten yourself into trouble? I bet the answer is your mouth. What you say, your words. Our mouth gets us into trouble more than just about any other area of our life. And when you think about all of the ways that we use our words, it's incredibly easy to understand how easy we get ourselves into trouble. Think about saying something thoughtlessly, the thoughtless word. You say something, you didn't think about it. Next thing you know, you've hurt somebody's feelings. You know you're guilty if you're asking yourself, what was I thinking when I said that? Or maybe it's angry words. You just get enraged and you just get angry about something and you know you're guilty of saying something that just, that just scorched another human being. When you say to yourself, man, I can't believe I said that. How am I capable of even thinking that, let alone saying it? Or maybe it's humorous but hurtful words. You know, you're saying something that's humorous, but it hurts somebody's feelings, and you, you know you're guilty when you're defending yourself by saying, you know, I was just kidding. Uh, I was only joking. Can't you take a joke? Or maybe it's sarcasm. Sarcasm is just a passive-aggressive way of mocking another person, and you know you're guilty when you're having to backtrack and say, hey, I never said that. That's not what I meant. I did not mean that. I never said that. That's sarcasm. Then impetuous words. You know you're guilty when you've had to apologize and say, hey, I was only trying to help. I didn't mean to hurt you. I was only trying to help. Or maybe the impulsive words. You say something impulsively. Uh, the words have just got to come out. And you say them without thinking. And you say, hey, uh, I, I know I sometimes say the wrong thing. Or maybe it's intrusive words. You know, you, you, you use words to enter into somebody's life where angels are, are fearful, fearful to tread. And you find yourself saying, hey, you know, I'm sorry that I, I hurt you, but I thought you just needed to hear this. You know, personally, in my own life, uh, my worst moments as a husband have not come primarily by my actions, but mainly through my words. I would say the same thing is probably true as a father. It's been more my words than, than my actions that have created my worst moments as a father. We've all heard the statement, you know, we won the battle but lost the war. That happens so much in relationships. It means, you know, we, we may have won a minor point, but we lost the big picture. In, in relationships and with our words, we might say it this way. We may have won the argument, but we lost the relationship. And when that happens, I just can't help but think of what Paul says at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he says, you know, I may be able to speak in the languages of men. I may be able to speak in the languages of an angel. But if I do not have love, I'm nothing. Now, in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, there's this very curious story about the importance of taking what we say seriously. 
And at the beginning of the story, there are some unidentified people who bring to Jesus this demon-possessed man, which means that this outside force has come into him and is controlling him, but not in a good way. It's afflicting him and torturing him. And on top of that, not only is he demon-possessed, but he can't see, he's blind, and he can't speak, and he's mute. And they bring this man to Jesus, and Jesus has compassion on him, and he heals them. And he's able to see, and he's, he's able to speak, and he's in control of his own life. And the people are just astonished and amazed to have seen this miracle. And they say, is this possibly the son of David? Which is another way of saying, could this be the Messiah? Could he, Jesus, be the Messiah? But not everyone is astonished and not everyone is amazed by Jesus. And that would mean the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, in sort of this snarky way, say in verse 24, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. It is only by Beelzebub, this, this, the prince of demons, that this guy is able to do what he's doing in driving out demons. Now, this is clearly wrong. I mean, this, this doesn't even make sense. And on top of that, it is a very dangerous thing for them to say. And Jesus knows both of these things, and that's why Jesus responds. And he makes a bunch of appeals. The first is the appeal to logic. He says, a kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. A house divided will not stand. Satan divided against Satan will destroy his own kingdom. So logically, think about it. Why would he do that? And then there's the appeal to humility. If I am driving out demons by Beelzebub, by whom then are your fellows driving out demons? With uh, the appeal to humility, well, nobody is really doing that. Then there's the appeal to reality. If I am driving out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then there's sort of this funny one. It's kind of the, the, the appeal to common knowledge. And it's common knowledge that if you want to rob a strong man's house, you got to subdue the strong man. you got to take the strong man down. you got to tie him up. And then you can loot him and loot his house. And basically, Jesus is saying, I am the guy that is going into Beelzebub's, the strong man's house, subduing him and taking all of those people that he has possessed out of his house. And then there's the appeal to implications. If you're not for me, you're against me. And then the appeal to reflection. Think about what you're saying. Everything gets forgiven in this life except blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age, the present age, or in the age to come. And then finally, there is appeal to, to creation or appeal to nature. And Jesus says, hey, a good tree has good fruit, right? Everybody knows it. A bad tree is not going to produce anything but bad fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. Therefore, and this is where he makes his first point. He says in verse 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in your heart wells up and overflows, and it comes out as words. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or in other words, you are your words. You are your words. Now, when you think about it, our words reveal more about what we are and who we are than we might like. Our words reveal more about us than our clothes do, our last names, our financial bottom lines, our profession, where we live, where, we, where we're from. Our words reveal who we are. We are our words. And Jesus at this point is not finished. He is saving the most important or the most stark lesson or, or point for the last. And he says, beginning in verse 36, I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word. 
For every word that's vain, for every word that's empty, for every word that is thoughtless, they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Let me say that again. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And all of the Pharisees went, "Uh uh-oh. Now here's the point that Jesus is making. Not only are our words a present problem that we have to deal with, that we have to think about, that we have to take seriously, but our words also have an eternal liability. So if there is a big truth that I want you to take away from today out of this passage, it's this. The big truth is not original. As soon as I say it, you're going to understand where it came from or recognize where it came from. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Now, in the time we have left, I want to talk about the kingdom principle for speech that we're going to refer to as the big three. The kingdom speaking principle, the big three are these. Quick to listen slow to speak, slow to anger. Let's say it again. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And what is great about this is it comes straight from Jesus' little brother, James, who in his general letter that we know as James writes, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone, not just some of you, not just a part of you, but everyone, all of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, we are going to talk about this more in depth in the next two weeks, but I want us to at least consider the big three, these three components today. The first one is this. You've got to be quick to listen. You make a decision that listening comes before speaking. I'm not going to speak until I listen. I'm going to listen, and then I'm going to speak. Listening always comes before speaking. And it's also a reflection of how God made us. God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should listen twice as long before we speak. The question now is, so what happens when we listen? Why all of this listening before speaking? What happens when we listen? The answer is we learn. And what happens when we listen carefully or we listen intently? That is, we learn a lot. The quickest way to understand a person is to listen to them. You learn their heart. You learn how they think. You learn why they think the way they do. You learn a lot about them through their educational experiences. You learn even more about them through their their painful experiences and a host of other things. The point you have to remember, though, is this, that listening cultivates better speaking. In my own life, I have been so blessed. I've been so blessed in this life to have people who know how to tell me what I don't want to hear but need to hear. And you know what they all have in common? They're willing to listen to me. They listen to me and they know me. I I know they understand me. I know they know me. I know they know me better than I might know myself. And in understanding me and in knowing me, they know how to speak to me in ways that I can hear and understand and appreciate and be blessed by. You never underestimate the power of listening to someone before speaking. Number two, slow to speak. The word slow is the opposite of quick. So what you would do with listening, being quick, sprinting down the road to listen, to to be quick about it, that's the first thing you do. You do the opposite when it comes to speaking. You take your time. One of the reasons we have to be slow to speak is that once a word is said, and you know this as well as I do, you cannot take that word back. It doesn't matter the number of apologies. It is so hard when something is spoken, and especially if it's hurtful, which we'll talk about more next week, it is, it is nearly impossible to take it back. You cannot unring that bell. You cannot unscramble that egg. 
And so learning to be slow to speak not only minimizes the opportunity to speak damaging, thoughtless, careless words that are hard, 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 hard to take back, impossible to take back, but it gives you the opportunity to actually speak words that count, that that mean something, that make a difference in somebody else's life. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18 is is just chock full of wisdom about how we use our mouths and our words when it pertains to other people. And so in Proverbs 18 verse 6, fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. That's pretty graphic. And then in verse 20, wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. I mean, your words can be described either as baloney and liverwurst, or your words, the words that come out of your mouth, can be described as prime rib. Are your words wise or are they foolish? But the point is this. you know, Words have to be weighed. And then finally, slow to anger. There's a television show called Longmire. It, uh, it ended several seasons ago. And it was based on the Longmire mystery series by Craig Johnson. Series of books. The story centers on a relationship between a white sheriff named Walt Longmire and his best friend, who is a Native American and of the tribe, the Cheyenne tribe, by the name of Henry Standing Bear. Henry Standing Bear is once asked how he and Walt became such lifelong best friends. And he, he tells the questioner that they met in line to get a drink of water when they were in the third grade. Standing Bear was about to get a drink of water. Walt was standing behind him. Standing Bear gets his drink of water, and when he, he comes up from the water fountain, Walt says to him, you shouldn't let your lips touch that water fountain. And Standing Bear um, thinks it's an insult. He thinks it's a racial slur, and he starts throwing punches. And the next thing you know, he and Walt Longmire's third graders are in this fierce fistfight with one another. Well, these two boys are finally pulled off of each other, and they're being asked, what started this? And Henry Standing Bear says, he's a racist. Walt Longmire is a racist. He told me that my lips shouldn't touch that water fountain. And Longmire says, and again, we're talking about third grade, nine-year-old boys. Longmire says, yeah, they shouldn't touch the, the water fountain. That's where all the germs are. You don't want to get sick, do you? And in that moment, there's an epiphany. Standing Bear realizes that, that what Longmire was trying to do was not insult him, but to keep him healthy and to help him. And the other lesson he learned was you got to be slow to anger. There is a place for anger, but man's anger does not breed a righteous life, the right kind of life. It does not breed the kind of life that God desires in other human beings. And I would say in 40 years of ministry that about 99% of our anger is, is the kind that scorches other human beings. Anger is a danger to our words. Anger is a danger to our words. Now, before we close with prayer, I want us to repeat the kingdom big three when it comes to speech. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. How magnetic would our, our, our church be in a community of people who saw us as diligently and seriously trying to use our words and our communication and our thoughts and our ears, our mouth in this way? that we are quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. This, is a, this would be a place where people would want to be drawn to. They would be attracted to this place because this is the place where people are built up. This is a place where, where people are listened to. This is a place where truth is spoken into their lives with love. 
I think every community of people all around the world needs a, a community of faith, a church that represents Christ in this way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the life that we have in Christ. And thank you for all the blessings that you have given us in this life that draw us closer to you and, and, and propel us into a life in which we imitate Jesus and walk in his steps. And this is the way that we want to imitate him this week, Father, in our lives, to learn to imitate him. And that is to speak words the ways that he did, to be quick to listen to people and, and slow to speak and slow to anger. Help us, Father, to use our words in this way that reflects your presence in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.